when we open the book of Job, we're about to meet a man, a very special man, um, whose world falls apart. And I want you to hold that idea. A man whose world falls apart. Because sometimes things can go very well and then they, they change. His world falls apart. A man who feels, and I'll put it as strong, in a strong term as this, a man who feels as if God is seriously against him. Now, maybe you've never felt that way. Maybe you have. And maybe there are people close to you, or, you know, who would actually say, yes, that's my experience. It's all right for you people. Things look good. But for me, life is just the pits. It's awful. And when that happens, it raises so many questions. Because if we're to be truthful and honest, life is very, very difficult. It can throw us curveballs. And without being too dramatic, things occur that just derail us completely. And we find ourselves pushed out of our comfort zone and we, and we start asking questions. Sometimes in our own heart, sometimes out loud or publicly to other people. And there are two sets of questions. One, one sort of questions I'll say is like the person who sits in an armchair. I'll say that's the philosopher, the debater, the observer. Intelligent, interesting, quite um, friendly, but they sit in the armchair and they pick up their drink and they have a discussion about religion, about life, and they know a lot and they can argue and stuff like that. But they're sitting in an armchair as these questions about life get raised. They're detached. They're not all that close to their topic. The other chair I'll put before you is this. There are questions that come from the wheelchair. And in the wheelchair is the sufferer. The person who's constrained by life. They're not detached. They're involved. And it will not surprise you that as we go through Job, we're not in the left-hand chair We'll be in the right-hand chair. We'll be sitting in the wheelchair. There's the background to us. Okay? Now, in Job, we have 42 chapters. One might well ask the question, if the Bible is God's word, what has God got to say to me, not over, over one, but over 42 chapters? Because often when people read the book of Job, they, they read the first couple of chapters, how its story starts, the last couple of verses, how it ends, and they forget all the bit in the middle. It's almost as if we're saying to God, God, you've got all this trouble putting all those chapters there, but of course, God, I don't need that. I don't need to read that. I'm across that. Now, you see, through those 42 chapters, we're sitting in a wheelchair and questions, real questions about real life are being raised. We need 42, we need 42 chapters because... When the, the suffering question is asked, or when the where is God in this question is asked, or what kind of God question is asked, those questions come from the wheelchair. And they're the kind of questions that can't be answered in a tweet. It needs thinking and expanding. The contents of the book of Job, and if you've got your Bible open, 
Um, the contents of the book of Job uh, set the narrative very quickly. Chapters 1 and 2, the scene is powerfully laid out. Here is Job and life is going well for him in chapter 1. He's a good man. He's living the dream. Life's good. And in the opening chapter, uh, the way it's written, God is watching Job from heaven. And someone else is too. In the book of Job, this other person is called the accuser. And we will know that person to be Satan. So in the opening chapter, God is watching Job. And Satan says to God, Job's not that good, you know. Job's not that blameless. Yes, he is, says God. Let me test him, says Satan. That's scary. Okay, says God. That's even more scary. Yes, you can test him, but only so far I'm setting limits on what you can do. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, would you not have found that startling? What is God doing there? Here's a question. When you wake up each morning, what do you expect each day to be like? That's a serious question. What is a normal day? Because, you see, when the day is over, our idea of what's normal will determine, at the end of the day, if we're delighted or disappointed. See what happens to Job as you open up the first couple of chapters? Because in a flash, his estate, vast estate, is taken from him. It, it's attacked and plundered. He's bankrupted. Wow. And soon after that, they're attacked again and his children are killed. What more could possibly happen? And the third thing happens to him, his own body. His own health is attacked in body and mind. Job's condition is not pretty at all. And at various stages of the book, this is what he says. Sorry. Let the day perish on which I was born. What state of mind would you be in to say that? Or he said, for the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Or even this, in chapter 17, verse 1. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. See, I think that God has extended this book over a number of chapters so emotionally we, are, we, we can allow ourselves to begin to sense what it's like to be in that man's place. And to ask that man's questions. See, to the person who's, who has questions like, I can't understand why this is happening to me. Or the person who says, I haven't done anything particularly wrong to deserve this. The book of Job says, I'm glad you're asking that question. You're asking a wheelchair question. You're involved. But of course, on the other hand, one might ask, I wonder what Job, the book of Job is questioning me about. Because, see, what is the only sure test by which the world will know who are real worshippers of the true and living God 
And who's just pretending? What, what's what's the, the way the world will know? The answer that Job will come up with is, when that person experiences loss, and when that person experiences suffering. Now that's tough. Really is. See, take away what is of value and see if they still believe and worship. That's what the accuser says. Take them away. Job lost his children. He lost his business. He lost his health. Will he still stay believing in God? Because only when worship comes at a cost will we see if it's true. I've been a Christian for over 60 years. One day you might want to ask me, Jim, why are you still a Christian? Because over those 60 years, an awful lot has happened to encourage me to go the other direction. Why are you still a Christian? Please don't say because my friends are. It's got to go deeper than that. So do you get the sense of where Job is coming from? Get the feel of Job as we sit in the wheelchair and listen with, perhaps, we listen with a lonely widower who asks, why did she die? We had such plans for our retirement and now nothing and I'm so alone. We sit in the wheelchair with an elderly wife who says, why did he get Alzheimer's? So that from now on it's just an agonising, weary, oh-so-grateful bereavement as I watch him whom I love fade away into absurdity and into confusion. Why did that have to happen? Or, or, or a troubled Christian, younger man says, why did I get into this bad job which is working out so badly for me, so full of frustration? Why is it like that? Or why was my childhood so difficult, says a young adult? Why did my parents split, leaving such a long shadow of pain and insecurity in me? Why did that have to happen so that I live with the consequences of their choices every day? Maybe already I've mentioned something that's very close to you because all of those experiences can be part of life for the follower of Jesus. The same is true of Job. All of what happened to him is now part of his lived experience. It's who he is. He's the man who lost it all. And that can't be changed. People talk of closure. But I don't know what that means. Closure is not for Job. He doesn't move on, as people often say. I'll tell you one thing. Time hasn't healed his wounds. So the question is not what do we learn about Job here, but what do we learn about God? It is heavy going, isn't it? <laughs> do you expect this at church today? It's here in the scriptures. The book in the middle of the Bible Let's push on, because if we, if, we, if we had time to go through ch chapter 4, 5, 6, all the way through, or halfway through Job, we'd find that in Job, this book, Job himself has four, we'll call them friends, but we'll put that in parentheses. They're kind of friends, but they're not sure. 
their friends who attempt to counsel him in all his anguish because he believes that he thinks, what's God done to me? During this time, we discover these friends have a system. Or in other words, they've got a way of understanding the world. They think they've worked God out. They think they've understood God's modus operandi, if you like. And you may, if you read it through, you'd kind of see what their system is. And I'll tell you, I'll give you three or four points of it. First of all, they think, this is part of their view, they say, God is completely in control. And I think I'd agree with that. They say, God is absolutely just and fair. And I think I'd agree with that. I think so. Then the next part of this system is, and I'm summarising it, if God is absolutely just and fair, therefore he always punishes wickedness and he always blesses righteousness. And I'd say, now wait a minute. What do you understand by that, friends? I'm not sure where you're going to take the implications of that statement. And then the fourth thing is, as they say, they draw a conclusion from that. They, they say, therefore, if I suffer, I must have sinned and I'm being punished justly. Do you think like that? You may be upright, operating under the, a similar system or a form of it. Call it philosophy or whatever. It's often our fallback position. Because some people say, I'm suffering, therefore I must have done something bad. Others say, I'm blessed, therefore I must have done something good. Do you recognise it? Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. You want to sing it? <laughs> Sound of music. For here you are, standing there, sing, sang Maria, about the captain whom she loves, loving me, whether or not you should, so somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. The sound of music. That's how she thought. And people actually think of that as Christians. They say, well, something's happened in my life. Is God punishing me? Why did my parents split? Why did I lose a job? Why did the cancer remission fail? Why did the bushfire destroy? Why did the, 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 the storm decimate? Why did the flood drown? Or the deeper question is, when all that happened out there and all that happens to me, what was God doing when that was going? What was happening in heaven? Did, was God on sabbatical? Did he have an off day? Did he have a day off? Is, is he a long service leave or something? Or more simply, as I entitled the talk at the beginning, is God for me or is God against me? Now, you and I both know the normal answer we're meant to give, the Christian answer. And I don't want to try and be flippant here at all. I don't think Job is happy with a quick answer, the answer we're meant to give. It just wouldn't feel right. You see, in chapter 18, and we start to narrow down a bit closer now, in chapter 18 of Job, is one of those friends, his name is Bildad. He gives a blood-curdling description of all the terrors that await the wicked. It's almost like describing hell. And the message is clear. Bildad, in effect, is saying to Job, you suffer, Job, you're suffering? You feel that God is against you? Job, Bildad's quick answer would be, you're dead right. God is against you. He is. Because you're a sinner and it's time you repented. 
And then you come to chapter 19, the, the one that was read out for us by Greg. I think chapter 19 is almost the centre of the book. Um, listen carefully as Job speaks from the heart. How long will you torment me? He says to his friends. How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? Because Job is of the view that God is attacking him as a sinner. And he pushes on through it. It's, it's, it's terrible stuff. Um, verse 4. Even if what you're saying is true, it's just me, myself. And Job presses on even further. And he, 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 the deep pain that he has because of his friends. Look at verse 5 and 6. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me, and if you make my disgrace an argument against me, then know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. That's what he's saying. That's what it feels like. And then in verse 7, Behold, I cry out violence. I'm being mugged. I'm being attacked. I call for help, but there's no justice. And then the verse 8, 9, and 10, as you go on through that chapter 19, each one just talks about God. Uh, it starts with he. He has walled up my way. I can't pass. Verse 9, he has stripped from me my glory. Verse 10, he breaks me down on every side. Verse 11, he has kindled his wrath against me. His troops come on together. It's as if God is attacking me as a sinner. Terrible place. It's like, look, look, look how the description goes on. In verse, in the next section there, in um, verses 13 down to 20, um, he says, he has put my brothers far from me. And those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. In my life, says Job, I'm, I'm alienated, I'm estranged, I'm, I'm on my own. Oh yes, I smile when I walk into Woolies or Coles, and yes, I say hello to people I see in the street, but on the inside, in my heart, in me, when I'm alone at night at home, from crying my, myself to sleep in my bed, I just feel alienated, estranged, I feel forgotten. Look, verse 14, my relatives have failed me, my close friends have forgotten me. We're meant to feel with him in this area here. We just can't stand. We're, we're in the wheelchair, remember, not the armchair. We're not just debating this. We're feeling this. We've got to experience this. I'm a stranger, verse 15. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I'm loathsome to my family. Look at verse 17. My breath is strange to my wife. We might laugh at that. But what he's saying is I'm repugnant even to her. I had a man in my church on one occasion... Uh, middle-aged man who always comes to evening church and uh, always came in his own. I said, um, what's it like? How's the marriage going? He said, oh, Jimmy said, every time I go home from church of the night, my wife simply says to me, oh, have you been up talking to your imaginary friend again? What would it be like to have the one whom you're married to, you share a bed with, who puts a knife in your heart every time you come home from church like that? Maybe you do. He's ridiculed, verse 18. He's detested, verse 19. Here's a question. If he's going through all this, tell me, why hasn't he become an atheist? He'd be prime prospect, wouldn't he? All he's lost, all he's experiencing, the, 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 the attitude of his friends... 
Because at the beginning of the book of Job, even his wife said to him, you're stupid, curse God and die, just give it all away. That's why I asked the question, why are you still a Christian? Why? But then it changes. Begins to change there in verse 21. Have mercy on me. Have mercy. He learns that God is there. And he starts to speak to God. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends. For the hand of God has touched me. That's verse 21. I'll read that again and see if you can work out what the mistake is. Because we know something that Job doesn't. I'll read it again. For the hand of God has touched me. No, it hasn't. Because we know at the beginning of the book, it was the accuser who said, let me test him. And God said, yes, you can. It's almost like, uh, like a dog on a leash. You can attack, but I'll hold you back just so far. Because it isn't God who's attacking him. It's Satan. It was the hand of Satan acting with the permission of the Lord and within the very strict constraints given by the Lord. It was, it was Satan's hands, not God's, that actually did these terrible things. Because God has Satan on a leash, like an aggressive rottweiler, but he holds him back. Ultimately restrained. So, see, what happens you see that he realises that God the Redeemer will vindicate him, but as he thinks about that, he makes that inaccurate d d uh, diagnosis. It's not God, it's Satan. And he presses on and says, he has this deep longing. See in verse 23? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed on a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in rock forever, like a headstone. Because Job feels like he's fighting a losing battle. He longs to be proved right by God. But he's wondering what happens. And then, and then, and then, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day he will stand upon the earth. It's astonishing acknowledgement, astonishing call that he makes. It's marvellous, because it, it, it wasn't just a, a deep longing from the first verses. Now he says, I know. What does he know? He knows that he has a living redeemer. I will not finally believe that God is a monster against me, for the real God is the one who made the world. And I know he's the God. He's the God I've always feared and loved. The God who's in, related to me by covenant. I belong to him, to his family, to his people. And in the end, even if it's after my death, I will see him because in an astonishing way, Job asserts that God will rescue him even from the judgment of God. If I was to say that God will rescue him from God, does that make sense? doesn't appear to, does it? But it's Trinitarian because Jesus does the same sort of thing because God the Father is judging who comes to save us? God the Son. And in a sense, God rescues us from God. God does something that, sa that saves us from his wrath. And, and, and Job is sort of like a, a, a Christ before Christ here. 
because he knows that, that God is the one who will save him, a redeemer who will stand upon the earth, not a fading tombstone, like he mentioned before. And Job will see him with his own eyes. Fast forward. Fast forward through to the New Testament. And we'll come to the New Testament with Paul to, in 1 Corinthians about the resurrection. And from the New Testament, we'll fast forward to George Frederick Handel. Handel's Messiah. Anyone ever been to it? Anyone ever sung it? Yeah, I do, but in my car with my CD, I don't, you know. Remember that? I know that my Redeemer liveth. And what does Handel do? He pulls the words of Job together and pulls the words of Paul together because Handel, in a strange way, has kind of got it. He's seen what's happening. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he will stand on the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. For now is Christ risen from the dead, the firstfruits of them that sleep. And that's where the book of Job is taking us to. Well before Jesus and well before the resurrection. That's where we're going. Now is Christ risen. Towards the end, there's a bit of a warning that he gives in verses 28 and 29 if you don't believe that message. And as we go past that, if you want to go on, if you like, to the final countdown of the book of Job. Uh, we've gone through that diagnosis and longing, the final warning. And you go down through a bit later on to the book of Job, you see uh, into the New Testament, we see that Jesus talks in the same way. In, in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, 31 and 32, this is Jesus talking to to his disciple, his follower, Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That sounds familiar. To test you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, when it comes to our position and, and things assault us, perhaps not with the severity of Job, who stands for us? Jesus isn't that good <laughs> isn't that good so what is the normal life for the Christian when you wake up each morning what do you expect your day to be like because when Job woke up those mornings years ago decades ago it was awful but our, our idea of what a normal day is like will determine if we are be, to be delighted or disappointed at day's end. Hopefully, we may not have the, the Job experience, but I know people who have. See, Job is not so much about human suffering in general. It's about suffering endured by a believer because he or she is a believer. Job's persecuted by Satan. He endures disaster, tragedy and sickness because he fears God. In fact, even in the New Testament, we see that same Peter telling his readers, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What's our last word on this? Well, our last word comes from Job himself. Look what he says in Job 42, verse 2. I know, he says to God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours 
can be frustrated or perverted. And the challenge that I face daily is if things were to happen in my life of such a magnitude, at the end of my day, that day, would I say that? Would you? That's a big call. Because God is for us. He is definitely not against us. Three months ago, I took a funeral uh, for a man, a retired man. Um, he, was a, he was a quiet man, married with children, teacher, librarian, um, keen Christian, but quiet, not, not a loud person at all, quite reserved. Um, and he stepped down from his position in the library and he and his wife did exactly what... So what's your first name? Alan. Alan. Yeah, uh, he did exactly what Alan was talking about and I talked about. He took his wife and they went into a little country town in the far west of New South Wales. He said, I want to go out there to help people follow Jesus because the minister's gone and there's not much. And he started a little Bible study in this little country town. Far west dusty, all the rest of it. And, and a, a group of people started to gather. He was, he, he was not a great preacher, never written a book, never stood on a platform, none of those sort of things, but he had this going. One night he got out of bed, went to the bathroom, as, shall I say, with some sort of de delicacy, people at our age often do, came back from the bathroom, tripped and fell, and his neck hit the corner of the bedside table. Instant quadriplegia awful he happened to be the first person that i was ever involved with was someone becoming a christian so i've known him for decades suddenly can't move into the wheelchair really real one not just an illustration um moving around like that ask him what's he believed he said it's okay jim i believe n um sometime later has a stroke Rushed into hospital, they discover cancer. He can hardly move, can't he breathe. And I, he's lying there in John Hunter Hospital in Newcastle. Brother, I said, what are you feeling? He said, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Astonishing. Why did God let that happen? He wasn't angry at God. Let me tell you about uh, Grace, a woman who marries a clergyman because she's always wanted to work in Christian ministry. Two or three years into the marriage, discovers that that clergyman has adultery with a girl in the youth group. Marriage exploded. Uh, house gone, can't live in the, in, the, in the church house anymore. Complete decimation in a period when, it, when she learned about it, in a period of about... 12 hours talking to, uh, talking to her sometime later say how did you get on what did you do every morning she said I got out of bed went into the bathroom and in in looking mirror and said God is king God is strong God is, uh, God is with me today that is enough and that was her little mantra morning after morning after morning after morning is God for me or is God against me I know that you can do all things. Or come with me and meet Gladys. 
who's in a church in North Queensland, who is there now with her daughter and her daughter's married. But before that, she was with her husband, Graham, and two sons and daughter doing leprosy work in India. What happened, of course, was that the Hindu people there, some villagers, didn't like what he was doing as a Christian. So they, when Graham was going to a, a village with his two sons, they, they saw him sleeping uh, in the car. They jammed uh, wood under the door handles and, and around the door uh, as the dad and the two boys in it poured petrol over the car and ignited it and cremated them there and then. That happened and Gladys and the daughter are still back home. I've talked to her. How are you, Gladys? She says, I trust him. Don't you find that astonishing? It is. It's astonishing. And then these, I just haven't invented this. These are people that I know. And when I read this part of the Bible, I say, Heavenly Father, in my own life, I think a normal day is wheat bix, saying hello to my wife, having wheat bix, you know, reading the Bible, doing something, visiting someone, complaining about the drought, um, having to get the car fixed, then having what's, what's Leslie got for dinner tonight, and hoping that, you know, I'll have a good night's sleep. Normal day. And all the time I'm thinking, what would happen to me if, perchance, under God, God allowed the Job thing to happen to me like it happened to my, the man out west and Grace and Gladys. So if you pray for me, if you move to even once, pray that I persevere into the end and pray that my words in the end will be that. God, if you take my wife, if my 12 grandchildren go, if my children go, please God, Help me say that because I trust him and I know that he will take me through and that I know my Redeemer lives and that one day I will see him and the welcome will be there. Job, if you know the book at all, children, has more children, property is restored and it has that nice end to it. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, we've, we've walked a hard path this morning, an unexpected path, not knowing a talk like this would happen. But Father, may we be the kind of people acknowledging you as God, no matter what might befall us. May we at the end of our days say, Father, we know you can do all and nothing, no purpose of yours can be frustrated. Please keep us safe to the end that we might be gathered with you and the Lord Jesus. Amen.